Sikhism, the youngest of the world's major religions and the fifth largest, was founded in the Indian subcontinent a little over 500 years ago. While most Sikhs today live in India, there is a large Sikh diaspora spread across the UK, US, Canada, East Africa, and several other countries. There is, however, little understanding in the West about the history and beliefs of the Sikhs. We hope to change that. I'm Erica Wong, co-producer. In the second season of The Story of the Six, we continue our engaging journey through the history of a rebellion which rocked the foundations of the established social order of the time and ended with the creation, development, and establishment of a new faith. After the brutal torture and death of the fifth guru, Arjun, his young son ascends to the throne of Guru Nanak as Guru Hargobind. The guru takes his father's last words to heart and girds up to confront evil head-on, the commitment to oppose injustice in every form that Guru Nanak lived and embodied is strengthened in new, visible, and inspiring ways. The young guru astonishes his followers by strapping on twin swords of piety and power. Before we begin the episode, we have a favor to ask of you. If you find this work compelling, please be sure to rate it and write a short review. That will definitely help us get the podcast to a wider audience. पंज प्याले पंज पीर छठम पीर बैठा गुरभारी अर्जन काया पलट के मूरत हरगो बिंद सवारी चली पीड़ी सोडिया रूप दिखावण वारो वारी दल भंजन गुर सूरमा वड़ जोदा बहु पर उपकारी फाइव कप्स ऑफ ट्रूथ इन सेजेस फाइव द सिक्स्थ does on their throne abide arjun has shed his mortal coil in his place does his son reside a dynasty it seems is born and one by one they will arrive conquering king all foes will smash benevolence and his might will thrive with these words by gurdas the late guru arjun's beloved scribe announced to the world that the era of guru hargobind had begun to the well-known writer and savant Pai Veer Singh who writes about the enthronement of Guru Hargobind in his work Sri Ashtaguru Chamatkar The date of Guru Hargobind's enthronement has dawned Inside the Harmandir the reading of the holy book of Guru Arjun 
which will one day become the Guru Granth Sahib, has just been completed. Hymns are sung with great reverence. The Venerable Pai Buddha, blessed by Guru Nanak himself, leads the congregation in prayer. Everyone is here. The residents of Ramdaspur, the faithful from far-flung places, and Guru Hargobind's entire clan. Pai Buddha, along with the Masands, the Guru's representatives, then respectfully approached, seeking the Guru's permission to begin the ceremony bearing a poti or book. Also in his hands was a seli, a woolen cord worn as a necklace or twisted around the head, which had been worn by the Gurus who had preceded Guru Hargobind. Pai Buddha also carried a turban. Both the seli and the turban recognizable appurtenances of the guruship. The masands respectfully bore other items and gifts. We now turn to the Gurbilas Patshahi Chevi, an early 18th century work attributed to a poet named Sohan. Guru Mantrapothi Jau, Seli Topi Saath, Mala Manji Paanch E, Dharatin Nyayo Math. Holds in his hands he holy words, a sacred cord for the Guru's brow. Prayer beads he offers too, and then does sage respectfully bow. The Guru raised his hand, his palm outwards, halting Pai Buddha in his tracks, a smile on his face. Hargo bende dik man muskaye, budde ji ko ban alaye, e masand kya rakhyo agar, budda ke suniyo sukh sagar, tum te baat na koi chapai, gur nanak eh reet chalai, in kar guriyai ko dharo, bahar guru hoye jag nistaro. On the Guru's face a hint of a smile, as their intent he tries to gauge. What do they place before me, pray? O master mine, then speaks the sage. Naught is hid from you, my lord. This is the way of the master first. These symbols of your station high. Embrace them. Rid us of our thirst. The Guru carefully considered by Buddha's words, and then spoke. Jo badala pit seli paye, to ham seli sis dharaye, sastadhar jo badala pave, sastadharan ham ko baneave, rav bansi ham chatri jat, ham ko sadhi judd suhat. Kaal purakbar aise kahe, Aage jotum icha ahe. Will this cord my father avenge? Gladly I'll wear it on my head. But if be needed force of arms, weapons I shall bear instead. I come from mighty warrior stock. It's in my nature to resist. Such to me is God's command. I can obey. I can desist. Pai Buddha beamed. 
Had he not foretold that Mata Ganga's son was going to be a great warrior? The Seli and the Poti, on the Guru's command, were dispatched to the treasury for safekeeping. A regal turban was tied on the Guru's head, with the blessing and assistance of notable elders such as the Guru's uncle Mori and Guru Angad's son Datu. With the Guru's approval, a royal kalgi or agaret was affixed upon his turban. Pai Buddha then stepped forward with a sword and strapped it around the Guru's waist. Then the old man stepped back and scratched his head. He thought he had messed up. The sword was strapped to the Guru's right side, which meant that he would have to draw it with his left hand. Pai Buddha begged the Guru's pardon and moved forward to correct what he thought was a mistake. The Guru stayed his hand. There is no need to move it, O sage. Let it stay, and let it be the sword of piety. Bring another and strap it to my left side. That shall be the sword of might. Paivir Singh speculates about the reason that the Guru strapped on two swords. The reason, perhaps, was this. If the cruel and unjust beheld the sword of piety and changed their ways, understanding that the Sikhs were willing to be oppressed no more, the sword of power would stay sheathed. But if they persisted with their tyranny, the sword of power would emerge from its scabbard, glittering, and if necessary, smite them to protect the oppressed. A statement had been made. A principle had been laid down. Dying in battle against oppression, sword in hand, was vastly preferable to meekly submitting to tyranny. Attired in royal robes, a regal egret adorning his turban, two swords strapped to his sides, thus Guru Hargobind ascended to the throne of righteousness. There was great jubilation among the Sikhs, who had been shaken by the torture and death of Guru Arjan. His young son had boldly stepped into his shoes, and a new Guru now sat on the throne. Not everyone was happy. The Masands, the Guru's representatives, who collected offerings and tithes from far-flung communities of Sikhs, had become corrupt and dishonest. To a man, they feared that the new direction that the Guru seemed to be steering the Sikhs in was likely to disrupt their way of life. After the coronation, when the crowds had dispersed, they decided to get together 
एंड पिटिशन माता गंगा निज निज धाम सभी तब गए मसंद मात गंगा पे आए सुन माता तुम सुत क्या करी रीत गुरु नानक नह धरी भाखत शस्त्र धरे तन माही संग न सैन मुलख को नाही मात कहा इस नर नहीं जानो सत परमेश्वर निश्चय मानो जाके बच प्रगट भये तें बच युद्ध कराए अकाल पुरख आज्ञा दई या मैं संस न पाए इट्स क्वाइट नाउ द क्राउड्स आर गॉन द एंक्शियस चीफ्स हार्क टू द क्वीन ओ मदर बिहोल्ड योर साइंस डीड्स सच हेरेसी नेवर हैज बीन सीन he boldly talks of bearing arms but how no land no power armies none except this man it's god's decree you do not understand my son the words he speaks the things he says the words that sound the drums of war banish your doubts embrace his will for these brave words come from afar mata ganga put on a brave front before the masands expressing full confidence in her young son but inside she was beset with worry she remonstrated with guru hargobind my son are you sure of the path that you are setting foot on arming yourself will bring trouble upon us we have no treasure we have no army we have no territory that might yield revenue would we not be better off if you simply followed in the footsteps of your father guru arjan and your grandfather guru ramdas the young guru carefully considered his mother's words a thoughtful expression on his face and then from his lips issued this hymn of guru arjan's rakha ek hamara swami sagal ghata ka antar jami uthat sukhiya baithat sukhiya bhav nahi lage ja aise bujhiya soe achinta jaage achinta jahan kahan prab tu vartanta ghar sukh vasya bahar sukh paya कहो नानक गुरु मंत्र दृढ़ाया माय मास्टर लॉर्ड माय शील्ड डिवाइन नोस एवरी हार्ट एज ही डज माइन इन पीस आई सिट इन पीस आई स्टैंड हिज ग्लोरी एज आई अंडरस्टैंड आई एम एट पीस अस्लीप अवेक नेवर शैल माय लॉर्ड फॉरसेक एट पीस विदाउट एट पीस विद इन blessed with his name nanak has been
the young Guru knew exactly what he was doing. Guru Nanak had been no less determined to fight oppression. And fight it he did, with stern and uncompromising words when he confronted Babur. Guru Arjan drew a line in the sand when oppression raised its ugly head again through the cruel deeds of Jahangir. He fought it valiantly with his body and sacrificed himself. The direction that Guru Hargobind signaled that frightened the Masans and worried his mother was no more than a reiteration of the principles and actions of the Gurus who had preceded him. then issued a letter to the Masands, indicating that he would be pleased with offerings of arms and horses. Some of the Masands grumbled, but word got around, and young men, including many warriors and wrestlers, started to appear in his court looking for service. Fifty-two of the most able young men were chosen to be his elite bodyguard and went on to form the nucleus of his army. The trickle turned into a flood. Five hundred young warriors from the Majja, the region between the Ravi and the Bias rivers, the Dwab, or the region between the Bias and the Satlaj, and from the Malwa, east of the Satlaj river, joined his service. We have nothing to offer you, O Guru, but our lives, they said. In return, we ask for nothing other than your blessing and your instruction. Each was given a horse and weapons and enlisted into the Guru's growing army. Biddi Chand, Pirana, Jetha, Pyara, Langaha, some of the most capable of the Guru's warriors, were each assigned to lead a troop of 100 horse. In the year 1606, the young Guru created an important institution that would become an everlasting symbol of Sikh sovereignty. In front of the Darshini Darwaza, the portal to the Harmandar Sahib was an open field on the south side of which the Guru's throne would be placed. The Guru decided that a covered platform 11 foot high be erected there with enough room to accommodate the Guru's trusted advisors and his personal bodyguard. Pai Buddha and Pai Gurdas were personally tasked with building the platform, which they proceeded to do with great reverence. The Guru would hold court there, and there would be plenty of room on the field for the congregants, who would also get a good view of the master. The structure that was raised would be known as the Akalbunga, or the Tower of the Timeless One. Over time, the Akal Bunga became to be known as the Akal Takat 
or the throne of the Timeless One, and unequivocally became the supreme seat of temporal authority for the Sikh faith. The creation of this new institution by the young Guru was a crucial step in the realization of Guru Nanak's vision and the implementation of his reformist ideology. The strapping on of the twin swords of piety and might, coupled with the establishment of the throne of the Timeless One, was a breathtakingly bold step. It was an unequivocal declaration of the sovereignty of the Sikhs. The sword of piety represented righteousness and the principles of Guru Nanak. The sword of might? A commitment to confront tyranny in the defense of righteousness. The moment was a watershed in the history of the Sikh faith. Chandu Shah, the Mughal official who had become the sworn enemy of Guru Arjan and had played a large role in his torture and death, eyed Guru Hargobind's increasing power and glory with unease. The original cause of his fury had been Guru Arjan's refusal to accept his proposal to betroth his daughter to the young Guru Hargobind. Chandu's daughter remained unwed and almost certainly he feared retribution at the hands of the Sikhs. His wife counseled him to make peace with the Guru. Chandu Shah wrote to Guru Hargobind, offering the hand of his daughter once again. It was an odd letter. On the one hand, there was the offer of marriage. On the other hand, Chandu reiterated that Guru Arjan had suffered because of his refusal to embrace Chandusha's family and made a veiled threat that Guru Hargobind might suffer a similar fate if he didn't fall in line. Guru Hargobind read the letter. The memories of his gentle father's suffering and the indignities that had been heaped upon him came rushing back. He responded with a stern letter, in which he warned Chandu Shah that he would be held accountable for his actions. Chandu's emissary returned with the reply, bearing tales of the magnificence of Guru Hargobind's court, which only served to inflame him even further. How dare the young upstart sit on a throne? How dare he raise an army? How dare he call himself such a Padshah or the true king? He hastened to write to the Emperor Jahangir, who had already proven himself to be intolerant and bigoted when he had ordered the arrest and torture of Guru Arjan. O mighty Emperor, on your instructions, strict action was taken against Guru Arjan and he was punished mightily for his misdeeds. I do, however, have to inform you that the problem hasn't quite gone away. It is my duty to report the actions of his son. 
तिनको सुत श्री हर गोबिंद थिर गादी पर तरण बिलंद तिनको बोलन अर बिवहारू लव पुरते आई अखबारू सो खत पठ के मैं बिस्मायो सकल अपूरब ब्योत बनायो तखत नाम गादी को राख्यो आयुध विद्या मैं अभिलाख्यो तजियो फकीरी को बहुबेस समता चाहत शाह विशेष संग चम्मू हित जंग करन के राखत दिन प्रत सुबट वरन के कहवा वन लाग्यो पातशाहू करे अखेर वृत बन माहू पूरब साके बृंद पवाड़े जिन्हें कीन बड़ जंग अखाड़े तिन को सुने ढाडियन पास पुन अपनो बल कहे प्रकाश बिना पर गने बिन तुम कहे सैन सकेलत गन नित अहे असने होए उठावे दुंद किम टिक रहे सुभट मिल ब्रिंद कै निज चमू चढ़ावन कराहे बिना लड़े ते प्रथम पकराहे कै भेजो नर आछो कोई अपने निकट हकारो सोई दबे रहे नह दुंद उठाए आगे आप करो जो भावे हर गोबिंद गुरु अर्जुन सन प्राउडली ही टेक्स हिज फादर्स प्लेस हिज हॉटी वर्ड्स एंड एक्शंस प्राउड यू नीड टू नो देम योर ग्रेस इमेजिन माई सरप्राइज माई लॉर्ड From piety he wanders far. His seat he does now call a throne. Embraces he the art of war. No more the form of saint or sage. The upstart would be called a king. Surrounds himself with warlike men. Songs of war they dare to sing. Foolish followers call him king. He seems to love the hunt and chase tales of old battles of yore warriors passed who fought with grace songs of their feats do sing his bards the upstart young displays his might he does all this behind your back who on earth gave him this right this reckless youth he might rebel armies are want to restless be descend on him with a mighty host off this threat my lord be free or send to him an envoy wise summon the upstart to his side for i am sure he won't stay quiet peacefully he won't abide chandu's letter had its desired effect the emperor tasked two of his courtiers wazir khan and kinchbeg with summoning the young guru to his court in delhi wazir khan who was secretly a sikh and had been an admirer of guru arjan pleaded with the emperor he was aware of the canards that had been flying about guru hargobind and feared for his safety he's a religious leader my lord and he is very young he is sahib kashif deeply spiritual 
privy to the mysteries of the heart and a miracle worker, for which he is deeply revered, he hasn't done a single thing that might be considered rebellious or blameworthy. Horses and soldiers? Other prominent men who don't serve the court have them too? Many holy men have brave young warriors in their entourage. The town he lives in is off as establishing. Surely he would need soldiers to protect the residents and maintain order? You are the emperor. But I beseech you to investigate further, because I really see no cause for concern. The emperor looked at Vizier Khan balefully, completely unimpressed. Your mission, Vizier Khan? is to bring the young man to my court. Paivir Singh in Sri Ashtaguru Chamatkar paints a picture of how the Mughal mission was received in Amritsar. Vazir Khan and Kinchbeg arrived in Amritsar with the emperor's summons. There was great consternation in the Guru's court. Six years earlier, a similar summons had arrived for Guru Arjan. The outcome was still fresh in everyone's mind. All the prominent Sikhs met in the afternoon to formulate a response. Pai Buddha and Pai Gurdas were of the opinion that the Guru should travel to Delhi. The Guru sought his mother's counsel as well. Mother Ganga, unwilling to lose her son in the same manner that she had lost her husband, hastily sent for the wisest and most experienced Sikh leaders to seek their advice. It was decided that the Guru would stay in Amritsar and a delegation of Sikhs would represent him in Delhi. Vazir Khan and Kinchbeg, however, managed to persuade the Guru to travel to Delhi with them. Vazir Khan shared his deep reverence for Guru Arjun with Guru Hargobind and suggested that the meeting with the Emperor would result in any misunderstandings that existed in the Emperor's mind about the Guru being cleared. He assured the Guru that the Emperor bore him no ill will and that he would be perfectly safe. Jahangir, he said, was very particular that he be perceived as a fair king, and after all the Guru had done nothing improper. It was the best opportunity to neutralize the whisperings of Chandu Shah and other mischief mongers who were jealous of the Guru's increasing power. Guru Hargobind assigned the secular duties of his station to Pai Buddha and his spiritual duties to Pai Gurdas, and with his mother's blessing set out for Delhi 
It was mid-January in the year 1612. Delhi was not yet the Mughal capital, and the towering edifices of Shah Jahanbad were yet to be built. The Guru approached Delhi from the north through the Kashmiri Gate, where on the banks of the Yamuna River lay a small hillock known as Majnuka Tilla. More than a hundred years earlier, Guru Nanak had rested there during his journeys, spending his time with a Sufi mystic named Majnu, who had lived there and made his living ferrying travelers across the Yamuna River. Kinchbeg arranged for tents to be pitched for the Guru and his entourage. As soon as the Guru took up residence there, local mystics and divines started flocking to him. The Sikhs who lived in and around Delhi heard that the Guru had arrived, and soon Majnukatilla was filled with throngs of devotees. After the Guru had rested, Wazir Khan and Kinchbeg arrived to conduct him to Jahangir's court. Sir Thomas Rowe was an English diplomat who was sent as an envoy to Jahangir's court in 1615. His account of his mission included a rich description of Emperor Jahangir's court. Guru Hargobind's visit occurred four years before Sir Thomas Rowe arrived at the Mughal court. We turn to Rowe's account to get a sense of what the Guru might have experienced as he was led by Vizir Khan and Kinchbeg into Jahangir's presence. The palace is a great court, whither resort all sorts of people. The king sits in a little gallery overhead, his ambassadors... The great men and strangers of quality within the inmost rail under him raised from the ground, covered with canopies of velvet and silk, underfoot laid with good carpets, the men representing gentry within the first rail, the people without in a base court, so that all may see the king. This sitting out hath much affinity with a theatre, the manner of the king in his gallery, the great men lifted on a stage as actors, the vulgar below gazing on, that an easy description will inform of the place and fashion. The king is very affable and of a cheerful countenance without pride. The great men about him are not born noble, but favorites raised, to whom he giveth wonderful means. They are reckoned by horses, that is to say, coronels of 12,000 horses, which is the greatest, whereof are four, so descending to 20 horses. Sir Thomas Rowe describes an opulent court, rife with psychophancy and intrigue. One can only imagine the young Guru Hargobind's bemusement at a world so different from his own, 
And of course he must have been on his guard, for the monarch who had summoned him was the same one responsible for the death of his father, who had been innocent of any crime. By all accounts, the emperor received Guru Hargobind cordially. He was, of course, aware of the great esteem that he was held in, but wanted to put the young man to the test. Weighty questions were asked about the nature of faith, the order of the world and its cosmology, and the arduous task of staying pure in a world rife with temptations and pitfalls. The Guru calmly answered every question, often quoting the hymns of his predecessors. Finally, the Emperor, a Muslim, tried to put Guru Hargobind on the spot, asking him who was holier, Hindus or Muslims. The Guru thought for a moment, smiled, and quoted a hymn by the saint Kabir, which appears in the Sikh scripture, the Guru Granth Sahib. Avvale Allah noor upaya kudrat ke sab bande, ek noor te sab jag upajya kaun bhale ko mande, loga bharam na bhulo bhai, khalak 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 mein khalak poor reho sarb thai, mati ek anek bhaat kar saji sajad haare, na kach poch mati ke bhande, na kach poch kubhare, सब में सच्चा एको सोई तिसका किया सब कुछ होई हुक्म पछाने सोए को जाने बंदा कहिए सोई अल्लाह अलख न जाई लखिया गुरगुड़ दीना मीठा कह कबीर मेरी संका नासी सर्व निरंजन डीठा ही लिट द लैंप ऑफ लाइट डिवाइन डिड एवरी मोर्टल सोल क्रिएट from his light the world emerge, dare not ye slander or fate. Brethren and sisters, gentle folk, rid yourselves of doubt and fear. In him creation, in it he dwells, he is far and he is near. Starting from one mound of clay, he fashioned forms many a kind. The clay is pure beyond reproach. Finer potter you will not find. In all creation the Lord abides. With his hands is everything made. The one who fathoms this truth define. In his thrall is gently laid. Allah divine forever unseen. With your sweetness you bless me. O Kabir, my fear has fled. Everywhere my Lord I see. The emperor looked at the guru with grudging admiration. Perhaps Vazir Khan had been right. His admiration, however, was tempered with concern. If this young man ever rises against me, he will surely make a formidable foe. <laughs>
the Fort of Gwalior, at the very top, is a large open courtyard. When you enter the fort, this courtyard is to the left, on the eastern side. The old city of Gwalior can be seen from the courtyard. In the courtyard stands Guru Hargobind, who occupies the throne of Guru Nanak. His mission is to emancipate the entire world of the bonds of life and death. But look, today, he is a captive. His body is imprisoned, but his soul soars free as his eyes take in the vista before him. The commander of the fort, Harida, stands before him, his hands folded in supplication. My lord, my guru, it has been three days. You haven't opened your mouth. Neither food nor water has passed your lips. I am your servant. Please think of me as your devoted Sikh. I humbly beg you to eat. Besides, the fort and all of its occupants are my responsibility. If anything happens to you, the emperor's wrath will descend upon my head. I cannot bear to see you like this, my lord. The guru smiles. You speak the truth, Haridas. The body does subsist on food and water. But you should know, the sanctuary of the divine is what ultimately sustains everything. Haridas nods humbly. Those are the ways of the blessed beings like you, my lord. Ordinary men like me? Just then, a handful of the Guru's Sikhs, who have been imprisoned with him, arrive and petition him, interrupting Haridas. What is the reason? Do tell us, Lord. Why do you refuse to eat? Shameful it was for us to sup. And at the table take a seat. The Guru first looks at Haridas and then his Sikhs. Spoke then Guru Hargobind, from this food I shall refrain. With earnings from the sweat of brow, you will go and buy some grain. The fruit of honest toil you'll cook. And when such food is brought to me, until such time you see I'll fast, until of this fortress I'm free. Haridas is much moved and promptly gives the Sikhs permission to leave the fort to seek work in the city of Gwalior. The Guru's Sikhs toil and come back with their earnings, which are used for the Guruka Langar or the Sikh community kitchen. Whatever funds are left, the Guru turns over to Haridas, 
instructing him to use them for the comfort of other prisoners who are also being held at the fort. It is a matter of historical record that Guru Hargobind was imprisoned at Gwalior Fort. Why exactly he was sent there, however, is not so clear. According to Paivir Singh, there is broad consensus that the reasons for his incarceration were not much different from the reasons of the original summons to Delhi. The calumny of Chandu Shah and some of the more prejudiced Qazis at court clearly played a role. Raising an army, dispensing justice, bearing arms, all of these actions aroused the suspicions of Jahangir, who could clearly see that Guru Hargobind was diverging from the ways of his father, Guru Arjun. To what end? The emperor did not know but he felt threatened. Paivir Singh quotes a passage from the Dabistai Mazhab or School of Religions attributed to Mohsin Fani. There were several things about Guru Hargobind that were troubling. His military bearing, his bearing swords unlike his father, his employing a retinue of servants and soldiers, his love of hunting. The Emperor Jahangir decided to send him to Gwalior in an attempt to collect the fine that had been levied on his father, Guru Arjun. The Guru was not the only important prisoner. Several other kings who had been deprived of their kingdoms were held at the fort as well. Emaciated and filthy at the mercy of their warders, the kings led a pitiful life, so far removed from the royal splendor that they were accustomed to. The Guru interceded with Haridas and used the earnings of the Sikhs to alleviate the sufferings of the kings and to improve their living conditions. Meanwhile, Chandu Shah was not content, even though the Guru was imprisoned. He began writing to Haridas, trying to enlist his services to assassinate the Guru, promising rich rewards if he did his bidding. He even sent a poison cloak to Gwalior Fort, suggesting that it be presented to the Guru as a gift from the Emperor. Haridas, who by now was one of Guru Hargobind's most faithful Sikhs, exposed Chandusha's treachery and vowed to protect the Guru from his designs. The days passed. Guru Hargobind remained in the fort, 
providing comfort to his Sikhs and the other royal prisoners. His fortitude was a great source of strength to the dejected and the demoralized kings, who feared that all of them, including the Guru, would die in the prison. The Guru smiled mysteriously and said, When my master decrees, I shall leave these walls behind. This is his will, and I accept it without question. He has sent me here for a purpose. Nothing will happen that is outside his divine will. You may choose to spend this time in prayer and contemplation, or you may spend it in anguish. Word of the Guru's incarceration had started to get out. The Guru's followers started making the long journey from the Punjab to Gwalior. Little caravans formed with horse-drawn carriages, bullock carts, and many people on foot. Gani Gyan Singh writes in Tarikh Guru Khalsa that Mata Ganga first sent by Gurdas and then by Buddha to see the Guru, their visits opened the floodgates and more and more started thronging to Gwalior. The writer of the Dabistan e Mazab has recorded the visits of the Sikh pilgrims. This I have seen with my own eyes. The Sikhs of Guru Hargobind, men and women, travel from the Punjab to Gwalior in groups of one to two hundred. They reverently bow outside the walls of Gwalior Fort. They sing the hymns of their masters. They share their sacred food and then they return to their homeland. When asked why they were there, they would respond that their godlike guru was inside the fort and they had come to pay their respects. They would be mocked and asked, If your guru is godlike, why is he rotting in prison? Calmly they would respond, He is simply testing our forbearance. He is in the fort of his own free will. When he chooses to leave, he will. And none will be able to stop him. When Pai Buddha visited Guru Hargobind, he was accompanied by 2,000 Sikhs. The Guru instructed his Sikhs and ministered to them. When it was time for them to return, he wrote a letter to Mata Ganga, assuring her that he would return before long. The Guru had been in captivity for several years. His Sikhs were at their wit's end, desolate at their separation from their beloved Guru. They started petitioning the Emperor, but were constantly thwarted by Chandu Shah and others who had been wary of the Guru's increasing power and following. Bhaivir Singh recounts an interesting albeit apocryphal tale based on traditional accounts. Using his spiritual powers, a Sikh named Jetha entered Emperor Jahangir's dreams in the form of a lion and threatened him with violence unless he recalled the Guru from Gwalior. The Emperor was much disturbed by the recurring dreams 
But Chandu Shah and his accomplices craftily suggested to the emperor that they had consulted an astrologer who had said that the emperor was passing through an inauspicious phase. Keeping the guru at Gwalior engaged in prayer would have a salutary effect on the alignment of the planets and the bad days would pass. Pai Jetha, who was not one to accept defeat easily, went to Delhi and met the emperor in the guise of a hakim or healer. He told the emperor that the only way to rid himself of the nightmares was to free Guru Hargobind. No matter what his motivation, the emperor ordered his deputy Vizir Khan, who continued to be an admirer and secret follower of Guru Hargobind, to go to Gwalior and bring the Guru to Delhi. The Guru greeted Vizir Khan cordially, but refused to leave the fort. Guru kahyo is thaan sukhare, ekal simre sirjanhare, ham jabte is durg praveshe, nrip kaidi sukh paaye visheshe. Spoke the Guru, I am at peace. On the one Lord is fixed my mind. In this fort, when I came to dwell, all these captives peace did find. Vizir Khan returned to Delhi to report back to the emperor, who was now fully convinced that it was crucial for his well-being that the Guru be released. He sent Vizir Khan back to Gwalior with another invitation for Guru Hargobind to travel to Delhi. The captive kings, fearful that the Guru would leave them at the mercy of Jahangir, begged him not to leave. Guru Hargobind assured them that he left the fort they would accompany him. The disappointed Vizir Khan returned to Delhi, only to be sent back a third time by the emperor. The guru spoke in response to his respectful petition. Jab ham praveshe durgamajhari, bhayo kaidiyan ko sukhbhari, khan paan te bhaye sukhare, chutan bharosa manmedhare. From the day I walked into this fort, I brought these prisoners much relief. In comfort do they eat and drink. In me now they have great belief. The royal summons that you bring prompted them to humbly pray. Without you we shall not be free. Give us death or take us away. Know you this I have thus sworn. Forsake them? Never, I shall not. Those who seek refuge in me, those my mercy that have sought. Vazir Khan, on his return to Delhi, plucked up his courage and told Jahangir that Guru Hargobind would not leave the fort without the other captives. The emperor was between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, he was fearful that the captive kings, once freed, might rebel again. 
On the other hand, he was convinced that if he did not free Guru Hargobind, his peace of mind and his health would never be restored. Wazir Khan and Saimiya Mir, the respected Sufi saint who had been a beloved Sikh of Guru Arjun's, both counseled Jahangir to release all the prisoners without any further delay. Jahangir pondered his options and came up with what he thought was a clever idea. He declared, Guru Hargobind shall walk out of the fort of Gwalior. As many captives as can lay a hand on his mantle shall walk out with him. When the Guru heard the emperor's decree, he laughed and sent for tailors. A special mantle was commissioned which had 52 tassels. The Guru triumphantly left the fort of Gwalior. 52 Hindu kings, formerly captives in his train, each holding on to a tassel attached to his mantle. From that day onwards, Guru Hargobind has been known as Bandi Chod, or the Emancipator. The Guru's return coincided with the Hindu festival of Diwali, which marks the return of the Hindu god Ram from 14 years in exile. From that day onwards, Sikhs celebrate Diwali as Bandi Chor Divas or the Day of the Emancipator in honor of Guru Hargobind. Gurdwaras all around the world are brightly lit and there is much joy in the Sikh world the tradition continues to this day. The story of the six is written and narrated by Sarpreet Singh, author of the poem Kultar's Mime, which was adapted for the stage and tells the story of the massacre of the six in Delhi in 1984. The story of the six is produced by Almas Media. Our theme music is a rendition of a traditional Sikh hymn by the late Bai Avtar Singh. This episode features a rendition of Raga Jog by the well-known Indian classical guitar maestro Ritom Sarkar. Tabla accompaniment is by Amit Kavtekar. It also features two traditional Shabads or hymns from the Gurmat Sangeet or Sikh sacred music tradition by Sardar Pargat Singh and Rababi Ghulam Muhammad Chand. Season 2 of The Story of the Six is sponsored by the Chardi Kala Foundation, the Sawney Family Foundation, and Manpreet Kaur and Ishdeep Singh. I'm co-producer and audio engineer Erica Wong. In the next episode of The Story of the Six, we will learn more about Guru Hargobind and the power of his twin swords. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>